Father, what can we say? There's, uh, there's such a privilege we have as believers um, that we would come and to be able to even mention the words that you, you are worthy to be praised. Those of us who, Father, understand that we are saved only by your grace. We are only saved because of what you have done for us. Uh, mere sinners, Father, um, that we have the privilege of saying you you and you alone are worthy to be praised forever and a day. Oh, Father, thank you for the privilege that you've given to us to worship you this day and to honor you, Father, with this moment in our, our lives. This, the, um, I guess it's April the 6th, Father, of the year 2008. Of all the places we could be, you, you've allowed us to be here to praise your holy and righteous name. Father, thank you. Thank you from the very bottom of our hearts. And may now, Father, what we do, may what we say, may the things that we, we look at within your word be pleasing to you. May it uh, honor you, Father, we pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here, all of you. Thank you for being here. Listen, we are so honored that you would be here with us today, every single one of you. It's, uh, it's, 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 we do not take this this lightly, that you would come and spend this moment with us and that we would um, hopefully uh, have an opportunity to somehow, some way, honor and praise our Lord. Uh, I, I know of no other way greater to honor him and to praise him other than by looking into his words to uh, seeing what it is that he wants to say to us on this day. Um, may I say to you, this is one time you'll be able to hear this from me. This is not one of my favorite places in the Word of God. How about that? How about that? This is really a tough place because it talks about something that uh, needs explaining. Uh, we're in the book of Acts, the 21st chapter. We're going to be looking from verses 15 to verse 26. I really intended to go all the way to the end of the chapter. It flows really well. But to take uh, any more than verse 26 would do us uh, a little bit of a disservice as far as knowing what is being taught here. What we are seeing is, is um, uh, last week we took a look that Paul was going to leave Ephesus and he was going to be on his journey to come to Jerusalem. And as a matter of fact, let's open up our Bibles as you would to, to the 21st chapter and let's refresh our memory just a little bit about this. What we're going to see uh, take place is that they, uh, the people in Ephesus are warning Paul, don't go back to Jerusalem, Paul. Whatever you do, don't go back. Look at verse 4. After looking up the disciples, we, that means Luke and the rest of the disciples who are with Paul, we stayed there seven days and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. Don't go. Paul, just don't go to Jerusalem. It, something bad's going to happen to you if you go to Jerusalem. And so they tell him this. Then, and when we learn later that he goes and he visits uh, uh, Philip, who, who was one of the, the chosen seven, who were the first really uh, deacons in the church in Jerusalem, and now he's an, he's an evangelist, and he goes to his home, and in his home this gentleman by the name of Agabus comes down from Judea. It says in the 10th verse and then the 11th verse, it says in verse 11, And coming to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own feet, and bound his hands. And he said, Whoever owns this belt, whoever owns this belt that I am binding my feet and my hands, that person is going to be bound in Jerusalem and be taken before the Gentiles. 
And so the people really just be concerned because they have been warning Paul all along, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. Whatever you do, don't go to Jerusalem. And so it was, as it says in verse 12, when we heard this, we, we as well as the local residents began begging Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And then Paul uttered the words in verse 13, are probably one of the strongest and most wonderful words in all of Scripture. And he says, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? And he said to them, look, I, I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem, and if it be that I am bound there, so be it. He says, I am willing not only to be bound, but I am willing to die for my Savior. And so he goes off to Jerusalem, and now we see the, the, uh, the actions of him leaving there and going to Jerusalem. And, and, and that statement of Paul's is a statement that I would love for myself to be able to incorporate within my life. I would love to be so strong in my faith that I would be willing to whatever is going to happen to me happens, but all because of my love for Jesus Christ. I am willing to live, and if need be, I am willing to die for what I believe in. Now, the only way you and I will understand the depth of that is to really get to understand the Word of God. It is, it is what is written in here that will move your heart. It is what is written in here, is we try to do here at this church, is to get you accum- uh, acclimated, no, um, acquainted with this, the Word of God, so that He might move in your hearts, so that He might be the one that... That, that, that shows you that what you are doing and how you are serving and how you are living for Him is the way you ought to be living. And so he takes off for Jerusalem. And as we're going to see today, as we're going to read, he's going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to greet him wholeheartedly. They so looked forward to seeing Paul. And not only did he, they greet him well, and not only did Paul bring them love from the Gentile churches that he, were, that he had formed in, in Ephesus and other places that he went, but he brought them a love offering, a, a, a financial gift from these Gentile believers to the church in Jerusalem. And when he got there, as we're going to see in a moment, they're going to say to him, Paul, it is so good that you're here because we have a problem. And, and only you are going to be able to solve this problem, Paul, because the problem centers around you. People are telling lies about what you've been teaching. And what we want you to do, Paul, is we want you to make a vow. We want you to show the Jewish believers that you, you, you trust in the customs of the Old Testament so that, that we will not have this division in the church. And that's what this is all about. This whole section right here talks about Paul solving, by the grace of God, this division that is, is taking place within the church. There are certain Jewish believers that have come to Christ and they are now formulating this church in Jerusalem, but they want to hold to the traditions of what they did in the Old Testament. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as it isn't against the very teachings of Jesus Christ. And then there are Gentiles who also want to hold to their old habits. And and what they're trying to do, what James and the elders are trying to do in Jerusalem is to bring the people together and to to melt the pot in, in, in the church so that all of a sudden when you see one, you see another, you see them all unified. And that's Paul's desire. And so Paul is going to say, yes, I'll take this vow. I will do this so as to bring peace to the church and so as to win as many people to Christ as I possibly can. 
And that's the lesson that you and I need to learn out of this place in Scripture. Um, There are some that will say, Paul, why in the world did you take a vow? You know better. You don't need to take a vow. You are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And they're going to try and tell Paul, your motive was totally wrong. What you did here was wrong. And there'll be others on the other side of the spectrum that say, Paul, way to go. You should have taken that vow. It was the right thing to do. And all of a sudden, boom, there's, there's an explosion. Boom, there's a problem within the church. Boom, people just always have an opinion. What should be done? What should be done? Instead of seeing what is... What is the heart of this dear man, Paul? What is Paul really trying to do? And as you and I are going to see, Paul's heart is to live and to die, if need be, for the sake of Jesus Christ. And there are always those that will disagree. There will be some here that will say, wow, this church is a little bit warm. You feel a little warm? It's a little warm in here. I think we ought to turn on the air. And other people will say, are you kidding? It's, it's cold in here. I, it's not warm at all. It's absolutely cold. Boom. You know, doggone it, didn't that music sound a little bit too loud to you today? Wasn't that just a, just a hair too loud? Others on the other hand say, are you kidding? We need more volume. We need more volume here. Boom. And so within a church, there becomes these, these, this infighting, this, this unnecessary uh, divisions that, 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 that occur because we are all, you're all like it or not like me, and that, is, that means you're all sinners saved by the grace of God. And we all have our own little quote-unquote kingdoms that we want. You know, I want what I want when I want it. Don't you tell me how cold it should be in here. Don't you dare tell me what color this church ought to be. Don't you dare try to move upon me. I know what I want. And what Paul is going to say, as you're going to see with me today, is he is sacrificing his life, his wants, his desires for the family of God. And that's a great place that a church could... If we can get our church to that place, oh my God. Oh my God. Read with me, please, in Acts chapter 21. Start with verse 15 and we'll read to verse 26. And Watch. It says, And after these days we got ready and started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us, taking us to Manansom of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And now the following day, Paul went with us to James and all the elders were present. And after they had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you. They have been told that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? They're going to hear, they're certainly going to hear that you have come. Therefore do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them, purify yourselves along with them. Pay their expenses in order that they may shave their heads. And all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself walk, also walk accordingly, keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from that which is strangled, and from fornication. 
And Paul took the men. And the next day he purified himself along with them and went to the temple giving notice of the completion of days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. I want you to know, we'll stop right there for now, I want you to know that Paul did not have to take that vow. That vow did nothing to his salvation. And as we're going to learn in a moment out of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, look, I am free. I don't need to do that. And he could have done that. Except Paul looked at the picture. He looked at the overall picture of what was happening in the church. And he looked at the problem that was going on in the church. And he wanted to be someone, someone who could melt the family together, melt Jew and Gentile together so that there would no longer be any factions within the church, but there would be peace and unity. And so Paul did as he was asked, not because he had to, but because he desired to bring peace to the family of God. There is no greater thing that you and I can bring to this church than to bring peace to the family of God so that there would be no more factions, so that there would be nothing more but love for one another. And so this is what we're going to try to learn in this particular time in Scripture. I think you're going to find it um, quite revealing. I think you'll find some of you will, will know most of this and some of you will say, wow, this is a good thing. Let's pray and ask the Lord to do that. I know we already prayed. Uh, I'll try to make this one a little shorter. Dear, dear Father. Oh, man, we love you so much, dear Lord. And we, we count it a privilege to be able to come before your throne of grace, as we've already mentioned to you, Father. Who are we? Who in the world are we that we can walk before your throne of grace and lay our petitions down at your feet? We are at best, sinners, saved by the grace of your marvelous Son, Jesus Christ. And so we come in his name. I asked your Father that you would move me aside. I asked your Father that if ever there be a time, this would be one, that you would allow us not to see who is speaking, but rather to put our eyes upon the very words that you have written through Paul and through the writers of these great books that you have put before us so that we went we might know you better. And so I ask, Father, that you take me and move me aside. Please, let us hear from your heart. Let us allow you, Father, to move within each of us as you see fit. Bless us now. Bless us, dear Father, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let me just say to you going into this, Paul comes to Jerusalem knowing that he's going to be in some problems. But it wasn't just Jerusalem. As we learned last week, he was warned no matter where he went, he would be in bonds and affliction. He knew that much. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 20, Paul calls himself from this day further on. He says, I am an ambassador in chains. I am an ambassador in chains. Because from this moment on, Paul will be mostly in prison. Most of his life will be spent in bars, behind bars, I guess I should say, in chains. And that is to our benefit. Maybe it wasn't to Paul's at that time, but Paul did say that he found himself, in whatever circumstance he found himself, he found himself to find peace and joy. But for those of us who, who now live today, you and I have written within these pages most of what we know and understand about Jesus Christ because of Paul's writings. And most of his writings took place because he was put in jail. And so he calls himself in Ephesians 
and ambassador in chains. You see, it's very fortunate the Lord didn't think about using me to write these things because I would have been complaining and moaning and griping. I try to do good. I try to do what is right. Now, look where I'm at. I'm in jail. What can I do here in jail? I can't do anything. No, I I probably couldn't have done anything because I would have been complaining so much I couldn't have had time to write. But Paul found himself, rather than complaining of where he was, he found himself content to be where he was, and he even called himself, I am an ambassador for Jesus Christ in chains. It's a great place to be. Whether I be bound, he says, or whether it takes my life, I am going to serve the Lord. And so as we see in verse 17, Paul was greeted in Jerusalem very, very gladly. They received him gladly. In verse 18, we are told that many of the elders were present there to greet him, along with our Lord Jesus Christ's half-brother, James. James had a tremendous ministry in the church in Jerusalem. But we see in verse 19 a very part, just a, a glimpse of the beauty of Paul. In verse 19, we are told this. Paul, look, read verse 19 with me. After he had greeted them, Paul began to relate one by one, note, the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Paul's humble and God-centered report produced a matching response from the people who heard him. Paul humbly tells them what God did, not what he did. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, it says, The person who boasts is to boast in the Lord. There is nothing that any of us here do, not one thing that we do that is of any success whatsoever that is because of our own merit or because of our own talents or, or whatever. All that you and I do, whatever it is, whether it be wonderful or whether it be not so good, is because God allowed that to happen in our lives for a reason. And he is the one to be praised. And so Paul found it in his heart to, to, to praise the Lord when he, things went wonderful and, and also to praise the Lord when, when he was in chains. So much so that he says, I'm an ambassador for Christ in chains. And so Paul's humble, God-centered report produced a matching response. When they heard what took place, look, in verse 20, when they heard this, they began glorifying God. Folks, your life and my life, if we can somehow, someway allow this to happen, where our lives are to be lived, allowing God to be glorified in through what we do and who we are, what we say, how we live, That's a wonderful, wonderful start on our walk with Jesus Christ to allow him to be glorified. It's just a little glimpse. We could almost read over verse 19 and not catch it. But that's too big of a a story in the life of Paul to miss. And so the joy of Jerusalem, as far as the church leaders are concerned, was mixed because there arose a, a concern there was a, a problem that was developing, and, and the, the perfect person to help solve it was Paul. And so they reminded Paul of something that he already knew. 
Look when they say in verse 20. Verse 20, they, they began glorifying God and they said to him, You see, brother. The words, you see, brother, is from the Greek. It's T-H-E-O-R-E-O. It simply means, Paul, you personally perceive what's going on. You personally discern. You know what's going on. And what is going on, we see in verse 20, is that there are thousands. Literally, the word in the Greek there is myriads. There are myriads of the Jews it says in verse 20, who have believed, and, and they are all zealous for the law. The word zealous there is really a noun. It, it really should actually read, they are zealots. In other words, they have come from this Old Testament learning. They have been brought up by their mothers and their fathers to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And all of a sudden, they have seen the light. They have come to believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. He is their Messiah. And they have come to trust in him. But they have brought along with them some of the traditions that they were used to from their family ties, so to speak. And so there are these young, now Jewish believers who are in church who uh, want to respect the Old Testament law. Now, right, right, rightly, they did not view the law as a means to their salvation, but they still wanted to observe these traditions. Now, Paul wrote and taught. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, please. Paul wrote and taught, if you are brought up under certain, certain circumstances, certain customs, the grace of God allows you to follow these circumstances, these customs after, now watch, after you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and as long as your customs, your traditions do not break the law of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, Paul wrote these words, Only as the Lord has assigned to each one as God has called each. In this manner, let that person walk. And so, he says, I directed in all the churches. In other words, I have taught all the churches the way a person has come to Jesus Christ. Let them continue walking in that fashion. As long as it's not sin, allow them to be who they are. In other words, within a family of God, when someone comes to Christ, maybe not so much Jew and Gentile now because of the traditions aren't so seeped within us, although for some it is. And if you hold on to those teachings, praise God. But for some of you to come to Christ, you were, you know, before you became a Christian, you were outgoing, exuberant, just the life of the party. And so when you come to Christ, you want to be like the rest of us, dull. And, 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 and uninspired and, and, and boring. No, no, when you come to Christ, keep that exuberance, keep that, that joy of life that you have, live it to the fullest. And some of you, when you were, when you, before you came to Christ, you were real quiet. And, and it was, you didn't want to be out there, you didn't want to be out in front of people and do a lot of things, and, and you don't have to do that either. You can be who you are. When you come to Christ, you don't have to change. All the Lord wants you to do is to understand the Word of God so that you can take away those things that might be sin and start living a life righteous before Him. And so Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17, As the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let that person walk. Don't try to change them. He says, I've taught this in every church. 
He says in verse 18, trying to explain this, was any man called when he was already circumcised? He's not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He's not to become circumcised. In other words, you have a choice here to make. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to do any of those things. Because he says in verse 19, circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. What is important is what he says at the end of verse 19. But what matters is keeping the commandments of God. That's the issue. He says in verse 20, each person must remain in the condition in which he was called. And so the apostles and the other church leaders, they did not oppose the continuation of the Jews wanting to continue practicing some of the Old Testament traditions that they went through, as long as it wasn't sin. In fact, Paul commands tolerance for those that have come to Christ and are what he calls weak in their faith or, or someone who is, really doesn't know the freedom that we have in Christ. The more and more you learn about the Bible, the more and more you see that you are free. You are more free now as a believer than you ever was. All that God asks from you and me to take away from ourselves is sin that that bogs us down. Sin that keeps us from becoming all the person that God wants us to become. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 1, Paul wrote these words, Accept the person who is weak in their faith. In other words, help them. Help them to grow. Help them so that they might become strong one day in their faith. In other words, you and I, within the family of God, within the church that God has called us to be a part of, we are to encourage one another. And those who follow the law, we are to encourage them to do so until they grow, until they mature, to understand their freedom that they have in Christ. And growth, folks, can only come by understanding how God has set you and me free by what is written within these pages. And the more you and I get to know these things, the more you're going to see how free we are. There's much more freedom in Christianity than any other place in life. And so growth will come through the Word of God. Jerusalem, they had a council. We we studied it back in in Acts chapter 15. And they, they forbid the imposition of placing any old covenant rituals upon the Gentiles who had just come to Christ. On the other hand, they did not prohibit the Jewish believers from continuing to observe these Old Testament traditions. They let them be as they are. And they would let time and education move away the things that we didn't need, that wasn't really necessary. But none of us were to say to anybody, you shouldn't do that. Now, unless it's sin, you know I'm not talking about sin, of course, about just being outgoing, being excited, being happy in church, you know. Uh, you know, gosh, we had somebody one time told me, you know, there's a guy, there's a guy that, that's on the parking team, and the first person they see is him, and he wears this hat, and it's got a propeller on it, and they, what are they going to think of our church? And I thought, well, they might think we're fun. You know, what's wrong with that? And there are people that want to stop that when in fact the Lord says you are free to be who you are. So James and the elders then set forth a a problem to Paul. 
that was troubling them. They, they warned Paul of what was happening. They were saying, these, these, new come, these new Christians who were Jews, these zealots have been told a lie about you, Paul. Look at verse 21. They have been told that you're teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Paul never taught that. You are telling them, they said, not to circumcise their children. Paul never told them that, neither. They are telling them not to walk according to the customs. Paul never taught that. And so this large group that they said thousands who are coming to Christ were, were, were zealous Jewish believers, and they are fertile soil for, for false teachers who will come in and try to distort what you've been teaching, Paul, and try to move them away from what they, what, what they believe and what they want to do. And it's, it's causing confusion within the body of Christ. These uh, false teachers was, has been Paul's foe from the very beginning, and they're, they're the foe within a church to this day. People who come in and attempt to undermine the teachings of Christ. And so these false teachers would come alongside these new Jewish believers and they would deny that salvation was by grace through faith alone. They insist that Paul is telling you not to keep the Old Testament traditions, but we're telling you that you ought to. And they insisted that doing that was a part of their salvation, which Paul never taught that either. If you remember, the church, way back in Acts chapter 15 when we studied, when the council got together, they fought against this type of thinking. In Acts chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Some men came down from Judea. And when they came down to Judea, they began teaching the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. They were trying to disrupt the Gentiles. And they were trying to divide the church to take the Jews and the Gentiles to separate them and cause some sort of, of confusion and division. The phrase in verse 21 is key to understanding. They have been told. That indicates that there is a report. The report that these people have been told these things was far more than just rumors. The underlying Greek verb of they have been told is K-A-T-E-C-H-E-O. We get the word, uh, the English word catechism. It implies that these people were learning through repetition. In other words, the false teachers were not just saying here and there these rumors. No, they were literally drilling their lies about Paul, about the church, about Jesus Christ into the heads of these new Jewish believers. They claimed that Paul, verse 21, look at it again, that he is teaching the Jews that, that come to Christ among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. They were teaching the Jews that came to Christ among the Gentiles to not circumcise their children anymore. They were saying that Paul was teaching you're not to walk according to the old customs that you're used to. Divide, 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 divide the church. They sought to destroy, destroy Paul's credibility, his credentials. And so Paul was the only one to help solve this. The accusations were completely false. Paul never taught this. And so the elders asked Paul in verse 22, what, what's then, what, what then is to be done, Paul? What, what can we do? You're here. They're going to know that you've come here. 
Here's what we're thinking, Paul. Something had to be decided and soon. And so they say in verse 23, therefore, they urge Paul. They say in verse 23 this, therefore, do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them, purify yourselves along with them. Pay their expenses in order that they may shave their heads. And all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, Paul. You're going to clear your name from this, Paul. They're going to know, the Jewish believers are going to know that you yourself walk orderly, keeping the law. They're saying, Paul, if you'll do what we ask, it's going to show that you have no disdain to the Jewish customs and traditions. James says in verse 24, do this, Paul, do this. And they'll know that absolutely nothing that they have been told about you is true but that you walk orderly according to the law. And then James added in verse 25 a parallel statement to the Gentiles. This was already decided long ago in Acts chapter 15. It's a parallel account of what is said in Acts 15.29 here with verse 25. And that is, they said, concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we told them this, we wrote this, having decided they should abstain from the meat sacrificed to idols, they should abstain from blood, they should keep from that which is strangled, and they should stay away from fornication. And so Paul, displaying a humility, a humility and a desire for unity between Jew and Gentile, and also more than that, a strong desire to win as many people to Jesus Christ as he possibly could. Jew and Gentile alike, Paul agreed to do what they said concerning the vow. But in so doing, Paul taught you and me that that vow is meaningless. He didn't have to do it. He chose to do it. And he chose to do it for one purpose only. And that is to win Jew and Gentile to Christ and bring unity to the body of Christ. I want to show you this. One of the great places in Scripture is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Turn with me, please, there. Paul had already written in Romans 14 and 15 that we have Christian liberties. There, we are free. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are free. Freer than you've ever been. And so Paul, in his participation in this, this Old Testament ceremony, this Nazarene law, that was established back in Numbers, chapter 6. Paul's participation in this was purely an illustration of the principle that he laid down in 1 Corinthians, chapter 9. Look what he says in verse 19. He says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. Let me stop right there. Paul says, look, I'm free. I am absolutely free from all. I am free from all people, all men, all, everybody. I can do what I wish to do. But he says, because I want to win people to Jesus Christ, I have made myself, willingly made myself a slave to all of them. Look what he says in verse 20. To the Jews, I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law. Though, he says, not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. He says in verse 21, to those who are without the law, as without the law, though, he says, I'm not 
without the law of God, I'm under the law of Christ. But he says, I'm doing this at the end of verse 21, so that I might win those who are without the law. He says in verse 22, to the weak I become weak, so that I might win the weak. He says, I become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. He says in verse 23, I have done, I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I might become a fellow partaker of it. Paul is saying what it ought to be in your and my heart. We become, we become a part of what the other part people are so as to win them. So as to have an opportunity to, to, to gain their, their confidence in us so that when they come alongside of us, they can see that, that we're not these whatever, but we, we want to share with them Jesus Christ so that they too would someday believe in the Lord. He says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. And so then Paul, back in in chapter 21 of Acts, in the 26th verse, so then Paul took the men the very next day and purified himself along with them. He went into the temple. He gave notice of the completion of days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for every single, each one of them. Listen, Paul did not take this vow because he was commanded to do so. He did not take this vow because he was asked to do so. Paul took this vow because he wanted to win Jew and Gentile to Jesus Christ. And he wanted to keep unity within the body of Christ. That's why he did it. And thus set in motion a chain of events that ultimately would conclude by having Paul set in prison. The the further weeks we're going to see, you know, Paul did exactly what he was asked to do. And what happens? He gets caught by some guys doing some of these things and they throw him in jail. They throw him in jail. Instead of Paul being in jail, says, you know, I shouldn't have listened to James. I knew better. I was listening to James was the dumbest thing I ever did. Look what it left me. Found in jail. Look at God. I tried to do what you asked. Here I am in jail. No, Paul never thought that. Paul simply said, I am where I am because of the grace of God. And I am content. He didn't blame anyone. Never did. Paul knew what he believed. Paul's purpose in life is what I think ought to be your purpose and my purpose in living and being a part of this church to bring unity, to bring a a kind of a peace amongst the brethren. Paul came to Jerusalem was given a royal reception by them. He gave them a gift that was given to him by the Gentile churches so that it would help them financially. They listened to his report and he told them one by one of the things that happened when he was in Ephesus and all the places he went. And he gave credit to God. He said, this is what God did through my ministry. And they glorified God rather than Paul because of what Paul told them. And Paul did all that he did at that church and in Jerusalem for the cause of Jesus Christ to bring Jew and Gentile together, stating there is but one church, folks. It's not a Jewish church. It's not a Gentile church. It's not a, a church for, for those that like uh, things loud or bright or whatever, and not a church for those that want things quieter and more dull. There's a church that we're all together. We're all to be to this degree all a part of what God is doing in and through our lives. And so Paul does not 
stop the Jews from being a Jew and he doesn't stop the Gentiles from being Gentiles. And so they say to Paul, go, go do this vow so that you might bring peace and you might make the people who are believing that you're doing some things wrong, that they'll see that your heart is really in the right place. And Paul did. And as I say to you, next week we're going to see, even though Paul did the right thing, in my opinion, still is going to end him up in jail. I think it's going to be a lesson for us to learn in the weeks to come that just because we do what is right, or try at least, try to do what is right, it sometimes can have not the best results. What we need to do within the family of God is trust one another. I just wish that we all just knew each other really well, but not so well that we know all of our flaws. Because the moment you get to know me really good, you're going to say, shoo, we need somebody else to do this. <laughs> it's the truth. But the fact of the matter is, is we all just need one another. God has made us just as we are. And we have a great and marvelous God who loves us. What we need to do is embrace each other and love one another. That's why Paul did what he did. That's why he took that vow. I think if you and I can learn anything from this message, it is this purely and simply. You are free. You are free. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never been this free in your life. God wants to take away those things that are sin because he wants to bring order and peace to your life and blessings beyond your wildest dream. We have a lot to learn from Paul. A lot. That's why Paul says in Scripture, he says, uh, follow me as I follow Christ. Be imitators of me as you see, imi see me imitate Christ. We have a lot to learn. A lot to learn from him. I really love you. It's hard for me to put into words. I wish I could really prove it to you. I don't know how. I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a part of this church. It's just a privilege to do what we do. For you to come and, and to be here every week and to listen, it's, it's kind. I pray that we always bless you. I pray that the Lord will really just move in your hearts and in your lives. It is the greatest joy of my life to be a part of this church with you. I thank you from the bottom of my heart for being able to serve the Lord alongside of you. I just told Ken back those very words because I watched him go through some real hard times and I never heard him complain not once I want to grow up to be like him someday there are a lot of Pauls and Paulines walking around in this church I thank each and every one of you let's bless this church let's see what God will do through some people that just want to live for him and if need be, die. Father God, I pray your blessings upon everyone here. It's just a privilege, Father, to have church together with these people. I do wish I knew each one better, but I'm sure there will be a time and a place for that. I just pray you'll bless us, Father. I just pray that you'll move within each of our lives as you see fit. And let us not put burdens upon people to change or to become like someone else. 
Let us just trust that you're moving in each of our lives in your wonderful time, and you will do as you see fit, as you wish within each of us. In the meantime, would we fall deeper in love with you, please, dear Father? And in so doing, I believe, we'd fall deeper in love with one another. Thank you for this time that you've given us today. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. I do love you more than I can ever put into words. Have a great day, and I'll see you next week. See you next week.